Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Hi, everyone. I hope you're well tonight. Happy New Year as well, by the way. Um, I haven't been able to get around to everybody and just wish them a Happy New Year, but I'm going to take an opportunity now and say Happy New Year. God bless you. I hope the New Year finds you blessed in the Lord. You are blessed in the Lord. Sometimes all we need is a perspective sort of shift or adjustment to see how good we are in God and how good God has been to us. It's true, isn't it? And anyway, I want to pray with you and I want to get into a word and I've called the word or I've titled the word how to have a happy new year. Okay, because we're all running around trying, you know, new diets. You know, it's only new because you haven't tried it since last February when you stopped doing it <laughs> last year. It's that kind of way. We're all renewing gym memberships. We're all trying to improve ourselves. We're all on the pursuit of happiness. We're all trying, you know, new year, new you stuff. But actually, the scriptures here, I believe, show us a way to achieve lasting joy. Amen. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight, Lord. I thank you that you, you use people in their frailty, in their brokenness, Lord. That's definitely me tonight, Lord. I need all of you, Lord Jesus. But thank you. I have all of you. By grace, Lord Jesus, you are still Emmanuel in January. You're still God with us, with me, Lord. And so I just pray for everybody under the sound of my voice as we begin to open up the scriptures. Holy Spirit, I pray you would do a work in the hearts of all the hearers here in this place and online that they would see you, Lord Jesus, just as you are. Lord, that your word would find fallow ground in our hearts and that there would be change transformation. Lord, it is your desire that we would know joy this year, that we would know peace this year, that we would walk in the life you died to give us, Lord, this year. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would just help me get this out. Uh, Help me deliver it in the name of Jesus. And we all said amen Amen. and amen. Praise the Lord. How to have a happy New Year. I've got a couple of, just two passages I want to read out to you, and then we're going to get into the main text that we're going to be looking at tonight. The first one is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2. It's a well-known passage written to a group of people who'd been in exile for a long time. They knew what it was to, to feel judgment, to feel reproach, and to be outside of the promises of God. And so God Speaking through Isaiah, he says this in Isaiah 40, verse 2. And I love the, the uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to read the English Standard Version first. Then I'm going to read the New Living Translation. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. That's God's people. That's you and me. And cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she is received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. The New Living Translation says it this way. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone. Hallelujah. And her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice for her sins. I want to look at that idea of 
of, of us receiving from the Lord's hand double for our sins. And I want to turn to Psalm 32, verse 1, where it says this. In the New Living Translation, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sin is put out of sight. Whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sin is put out of sight. Now I want to turn to Leviticus chapter 16, where we're going to be camping out for the rest of the passage. Are you ready? Let's do it. Leviticus, come on. Okay, moderately excited. I love Leviticus. Let's do it. So as you turn to Leviticus chapter 16, I'm going to give you a little bit of context, okay? So um, Leviticus chapter 16 talks all about the Day of Atonement uh, or Yom Kippur. So you, you kind of have to understand a couple of different things about the Jewish calendar. The first one is this. The Jewish calendar had four new years. That's a lot of sore heads. I'm joking. That's a joke. Amen. That is definitely a joke. But four new years, and they all had sort of different uh, levels of importance. But the most important day in the Jewish calendar was the first day of the 10th month, a tenth month, and it was called Rosh Hashanah. Okay, and they celebrated God's creation of Adam and Eve for two days. And then on the 10th day, there was a day of atonement or one of the two holy high days in the Jewish calendar. And on Yom Kippur or the day of atonement, God worked through the priesthood and through animal sacrifices to cleanse the people of their sins. And he did it for a particular reason, that they would know him and experience him in relationship. God didn't just want to appease, God didn't just need appeasement, some blood to pay for sin, but God's desire was that through appeasement, he would have relationship, unbroken relationship with his people because God is a relational God. God wants relationship with you and God will go, as we'll see now in the text, to great lengths to make sure that you can have unbroken relationship with, your, with him, with yourself, and with one another. Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump into the text. It's um, the Day of Atonement, and there's a lot of different parts. I think I'll read them all because it's the Bible and it's good for you. Amen. Let's start uh, in chapter 16, verse 5. And we're going to start with Aaron. Aaron, the priest at the time, a Levite, had to put on a particular ceremonial garb to perform some animal, animal sacrifices during the Day of, the, of Atonement. He took a bull, okay? Uh, and here in verse 5, uh, I want you to kind of see this uh, in the context of what we've just been reading. Uh, so he took a bull, and then in verse 5, he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, double, two male goats. And we're going to look at, at, at what's going on here. Two male goats. Are you ready? Verse 5, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin, offer, off, sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Uh, verse 7, he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and one lot for Azazel. I want to stop here. 
uh, it's important that we see that God was the one who was going to do the picking. God was going to select for himself for the con congregation two goats. One would be for the Lord and one would be for Azazel. Now, commentators aren't quite sure what that term Azazel means. Some commentators think that it actually referred to a, 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 an evil or malevolent spirit that was out in the desert, as we'll read about later on. But most commentators believe that that word Azazel breaks down into two words, one being goat and the other one meaning to, to send away. So we're going to take it tonight as to mean scapegoats. So there'd be one goat for the Lord and one goat would be a scapegoat. Okay, so let's keep going. One would be a scapegoat. And here we go, verse 9. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on, the, uh, on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it and that it might be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel or as the scapegoat. Okay, verse 15 talks about Aaron and what he did with the first goat, that he'd kill the goat for the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Then he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanlinesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And now look at verse 20, folks. Track with me, nearly done. And when he made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. Some translations say a willing man or a fit man, okay? The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. We're going to stop the reading right there. Two goats, one goat is sacrificed before the Lord, bloodshed to make atonement in the most holy place on the mercy seat, all the instruments, everything was covered in the blood of both the bull and the goats. But a second bull was brought, sorry, goat was brought out before the people in plain sight of all the congregation. And the priest Aaron put his hands on the goats and he tied the goats on the goats. Um, actually, when you, when you um, read some of the commentaries, he tied a scarlet cord on the horns of the goats and he imputed or confessed over the goats all the sins of the people. And then a ready or willing man led the goat through the congregation, through all the people out into the wilderness. And the people had to stand and watch as the scapegoat disappeared in the, in, into the horizon. Now, there's a reason why I read all of this to you. Jesus Christ is both the sacrificial goat and he's the scapegoat. I want us to begin to link all of this together because the scriptures say that we've received from him double for our sins. And I want us to begin to look at that passage through this lens, that not only did Jesus pay for the right for you to stand in forgiveness, 
but he paid for the right for you to know what it is to stand in forgetfulness as well. God hasn't just forgiven you of your sins, he's forgotten them too, hallelujah. That's an amazing reality. Track it with me, because a lot of us are forgiven, but condemned, amen? Oh, we're walking around and we know that Jesus has forgiven us, but we're still guilty. We feel guilty for the sins that we commit, for our failures, for our inadequacies. We walk around with sin's definitions still over us, yet we know that we're forgiven. Isn't it amazing how you can start a new year with an old identity? How you can start a new year with an old you dragging an identity that's defined by, overshadowed by your failures and your sins? Oh, I'm forgiven, but I'm still the person who perpetrated the wrong. Isn't it amazing how we can spend our new year paying for what Jesus Christ has already paid for? Folks, I'd put it to you tonight that it's not enough to just be forgiven. Your sins have to be forgotten as well. Hallelujah. And so God provided not just one goat for forgiveness, that you might stand in forgiveness, but a second that you might know what it is to stand as if you'd never committed the wrong at all. That is amazing. Folks, listen to me. You don't have to live under sin's definition anymore. 1 Peter 2, 24 says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Hallelujah, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? He took the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation in his body so that you wouldn't have to bear it in your own. How many of you, how many under the sound of my voice started a new year full of guilt, full of shame, full of overshadowed by the identity of some failure or wrong that you've committed at some stage in your life? And God is standing there going, you don't understand. Your sad days are over. You've received from my hand double. I've got more. There's more going on here. So I want us to look at this idea. Jesus Christ is our scapegoat. 2 Corinthians 2, 5, 21 says this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. Sin offering. That's a better rendering of this verse. So that we might be made right with God through Christ he was sent outside of the camp so that we would know what it is to have belonging and relationship. Isn't it wonderful? Let's keep going. I've read 1 Peter 2.24 to you, but this year I want you to know this, and I believe this is from the Lord. There is joy in knowing God's forgiveness and his forgetfulness. Wonderful. Jesus Christ took our guilt and shame on himself so that the Father could forgive and forget. And so you and I could live in assurance and in community with a new identity. Isn't that the truth? How many Christians live without assurance? No assurance. Yes, God forgave me of my sins, but I don't feel like I belong in community because I'm still the guilty party. Aren't we? We're, let's be honest here. How many of us treat the people around us this way? Well, once bitten, twice shy. Amen? Oh, no, yeah, we got to forgive you, the whole cross thing. Well, you know, the cross, we have, I forgive you, brother. Well, you know, I don't know if I can fully open my heart to you again. I don't know if I can fully 
let you all the way in again. After all, you did this and you did that and you did the other. See, we're still putting the guilt, the, the guilty identity back on that person. Some of us are doing it to ourselves, but God has made a way. Many of us live knowing sin's penalty is paid, but still dealing with sin's presence and definition. We live guilty lives, shame-filled lives, full of condemnation, and God would say to you, not anymore. So you're not to live that way anymore. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, hallelujah, and the new has come. Oh, come on, folks. It's good news tonight for any honest soul, any, any soul walking humbly enough to say, I get it wrong and I can't just shake it off when I do. There's guilt that I have to deal with. Hallelujah for the cross, I'm forgiven. But Lord, help me. There's still guilt and God is saying, no, I was your scapegoat. I was the guilty party. And I want to show you this. I want to show you that he became our scapegoat for a reason. So that God firstly could forget our former sins. God did this for himself so that he could have unbroken relationship with you, embrace you without ever having to think twice about it. How many of us know what it is to have a kid come in from playing and they're dirty and you want to hug them, but you can't because they're dirty. Amen. Yeah, I'm not going to throw my son in it, but another toddler that I know um, got covered in, um, you know, number two a couple of days ago and I had to lift him into the shower and it was, I didn't want to touch the kid. I love him like my own soul more, more than I love myself. I, I don't want to touch him. I was like... <laughs> Do you know that kind of thing? God wants relationship. He's got to clean you up first a little bit. Hallelujah. That's what he's got to do. And so he wants us, he's done it, that, that he's done it for himself, but he's also done it that you might forget your former sins because you ought to be able to embrace yourself. You've got, you listen, some of us are running around here. We can't love ourselves because of what we've done. When God said, no, I've become your Jesus has become your scapegoat so that you can embrace yourself, love yourself, tolerate yourself again. And not just that, so that we could forget the former sins of others because some of us are walking around and it's because of somebody else has done something to us and we know that we have to forgive them, but there's resentment and we can't embrace them. We can't embrace them the way that God would have us embrace them. God has forgiven and forgotten. Micah 7, Micah 7 verse 19, who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You don't stay angry forever. Hallelujah. But you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Come on now. Come on now. Listen, if I didn't have too much dinner, I would dance on the stage right now. But there was apple pie and I can't say no. Amen. Listen, listen to this. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. As far as God is concerned, your sin has ceased to be. He laid it on Jesus Christ, your substitute, and he took the penalty of it. Nay, the thing itself 
He is your scapegoat, carried your sin right away, and it is lost in the wilderness of his forgetfulness. Glory to God, he who bore my sins in his own body on the tree, took all my debts and paid them for me. And now I am dead to those debts. They have no power over me. I am dead to my sins. Christ suffered instead of me. I have nothing to do with them. They are as much gone as if they had never been committed. It is scandalous grace. What a gospel. It's not that I would just forgive you, but it's as if you had never committed the sin at all. That you might know my embrace, that you might be able to embrace yourself, and that those around you may look beyond your guilt, or not impute your guilt to you, but embrace you as well. Because we serve a relational God who isn't, who isn't satisfied until we walk in peace, not just with him, but with each other. Inner shalom, shalom with God, shalom with ourselves, and shalom with our brothers and sisters. So sin has to leave the camp. Hallelujah. Because sin is antisocial. I don't know if you noticed that. Sin is antisocial. When you get guilty, you begin to isolate yourself. Guilty people always isolate themselves. It is inherently anti-relational. And so as long as you are the guilty party, the one who perpetrated the act, although God has forgiven you and everyone can acknowledge it, including you, there can be no real belonging until that identity is done away with as well. And that's what God has done. It's one of my favorite quotes ever by Corrie ten Boom. God has taken our sin and thrown it into a sea of forgetfulness and posted a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Hallelujah. No fishing allowed. I don't like fishing, so that's not a hard... That, yet, yet, I, uh, it's often where I go to go fishing. God's sea of his forgetfulness. I think we all take our rod out there and try and, you know, you, we, you know. He's cleansed us and separated us from our sins so that we can, he can be with us in relationship because of Christ. But he can forget because Christ was the guilty party. Thank God, if he's forgotten, why can't we? If he's forgotten, why can't we? You know, the only thing harder than, than forgiving and forgetting is being forgiven and forgetting. Standing as a Christian person and not being able to let go. And that's really what I think the Holy Spirit wants to say to us on this Wednesday night. This year, we need to start letting go. And I'm going to show you here in the passage just a few more things before we end tonight. God hasn't just secured for himself the right to forgive and forget. He's secured it for you and I also. That's what he's done. Please don't spend your new year forgiven, but condemned, resentful, shame-filled, because he's freed us from sin's penalty and its presence. He bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and have a new identity. Don't start that new year with an old you. Listen to me, you might still do it, but it doesn't mean that you are it. It doesn't mean that you are it. And there's a difference. There is a difference. There is a difference. Psalm 103.12 says this, he's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. He's done that. I want to read for you uh, lyrics from a hymn that I found that I think is just fantastic. 
How do I have a happy new year? It begins with forgetfulness. Amen. God is calling you and I to step into the joy of his forgetfulness and listen to this um, hymn called Praise God, My Sins Are Gone by M.B. Vandal. Um, I don't know who he is. I just like the lyrics. Okay, I'm just saying, this is not an endorsement of the man. I just like the lyrics. Let's go. You ask me why I'm happy, so I'll tell you why. Because my sins are gone. And when I meet the scoffers who ask me where they are, I say, my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood of the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Is that good enough for you tonight? It's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. Twas at the old time altar where God came in my heart and now my sins are gone. The Lord took full possession and the devil did depart. I'm glad my sins are gone. When Satan comes to tempt me and tries to make me doubt, I say, my sins are gone. Say it with me tonight. My sins are gone. You got me into trouble, but Jesus got me out. I'm glad my sins are gone. I'm living now for Jesus. I'm happy night and day because my sins are gone. My soul is filled with music. With all my heart, I say, I know my sins are gone. Isn't it wonderful? That's my prayer tonight, that your soul would be filled with music because you know that not only are you forgiven, but you're not that person anymore. Hallelujah. You're not. If you want to find that person, I can tell you where he or she is. Just go back 2,000 years. Go to Jerusalem and there's a small hill. It's called Calvary. And there at that time, a man, a God-man, called Jesus Christ, hung and died for the sins of humanity. If you're looking for your old identity, you can find him or her there. That's where you need to go. Back to Calvary. Because God doesn't impute that identity to you. Don't impute it to yourself. Don't, that word impute means to put in your account. Don't do it. Because God doesn't do it. God has forgotten. So you have the right to forget. Isn't that wonderful? You have the right to forget. Happiness, true joy is found in forgetting. Praise the Lord tonight. And finally, I want to say this. It's not just God and it's not just you, it's others. When you look at the community, when you look at the scapegoat ritual, it happened before the entire community. There's a JFK quote that I thought was funny. I was looking on the internet today and I found it. It said, uh, Forgive your enemies, but uh, don't forget their names. <laughs> Isn't that the way it goes? Oh, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you. And we get spiritual. And, and I forgive you. I know you did all this. You're forgiven. But in your heart, yeah, but I, can't, I can't forget what you did because then you might do it, do it again. And I don't want to go through all that again. So I'm just going to hold you in that identity because it's safe for me. I'm going to keep you locked in that identity. You're, you're, that's who you are. I, I, you're forgiven, but you're still that person who did that thing to me. And so there's some, somehow something has entered into the nature of the relationship. I call it a once bitten, twice shy culture. 
once bitten, twice. Well, you know, you hurt me. I love you. I forgive you. But it can't, obviously, it can't be the same. Obviously, it can't be the way that it was. And this isn't, this isn't the heart of God. Listen to me. When Aaron put his hands on that goat, the Bible says that he confessed the sins. He spoke the sins onto the scapegoat. There's power in what we say over the lives of the people around us also. We need to be careful about what we impute with our mouths onto people because God has imputed our sins, shortcomings, failures onto the goats, onto Jesus Christ. So I can't speak to my brother about or to my brother or sister in any sort of way. Even in their failure, I can't give them an identity that Jesus Christ took on himself and put on the cross. If it's hanging on the cross, I can't hang it back on my brother or sister. I can't. I can't put that mantle back onto them. They can't be a forgiven dot, dot, dot. You know, I've worked, I've worked for it's probably 15 years now since I started working with the first addict that I ever worked with. And I've met so many people who've come out of addiction and God has forgiven them and saved them, but they still walk around. Oh, I'm a forgiven, you know, I'm an ex-drug addict. No, that's washed away. Amen? Amen. No. And, and maybe I'm speaking to someone tonight. You're not an ex-anything. You're a new creation. You're not an ex-anything. You're a new creation in Christ. You want to see that old addict? It's true. You want to see that old addict? He's hanging on the cross 2,000 years ago in Christ. Go back there. And do you know what? If you want to hang that on me, maybe you should stay there as well. Amen? You can stay there. Amen? Can we not speak what God has dealt with back onto one another? And beyond that too, that goat had to be led through the congregation. The people had to see their guilt and the guilt of those around them, what I've done and what others have done to me, on a goat, and that goat had to disappear out of the camp and out of sight, leaving the people with nothing, nothing left to accuse each other with. I can't accuse myself of anything or anybody else of anything. My guilt just walked out that gate there. All I can do is embrace again. There's no sin identity. It's gone. All I can do is, is put my arms around you as a forgiven brother or sister and say, I love you. In Philemon 1 chapter 18, Paul says to Philemon, Paul says to Anisiphorus, sorry, Philemon speaking of Anisiphorus, a runaway slave who Paul was trying to reunite with his master, he says, if he's done anything to you or wronged you in any way, charge it to my account. And isn't that the call of Jesus Christ today? Every last one of us in relationship, maybe experiencing relational tension, there are people in your lives who've hurt you, wronged you, okay. What I love is that Christ doesn't, he doesn't ignore that something happened he doesn't overlook the fact that something was done. He doesn't overlook the guilt. Instead, he says, let me pay. I'll pay. I'll be I know they did that to you. But is it okay if I pay instead of them? Is it okay if I experience the reproach instead of them? Is it okay if I have to leave the camp under judgment instead of them? 
Is it okay if it's me who takes it on myself instead of that person? Isn't it amazing? Because so many of us are bitter and, and we go around and we tell everyone what, what so-and-so did to us. And we do it because we're looking for, for, for some sort of recognition that a harm or, or a wrong occurred. And yet at the cross, Jesus says, no, I know that it happened. I know, and it's on display Except it's not that person, it's being displayed and it's me, it's me. In verse 26, in closing, in verse 26, the scriptures say here in Leviticus that the scapegoat would, must be led away by a ready or a willing man. Okay, and there, there is some conversation on, on, on who exactly that was. And that only that person knew where the scapegoat would go. What actually happened was that that willing man would lead the scapegoat out into the wilderness and there would be about 10 pit stops, right, where that, that willing man would stop and get something to drink. And at the 10th stop, he would let the, the, uh, the goat go and he would stand there until the goat disappeared in the wilderness. And then they would turn around, hoping that the goat didn't have a, a, you know, Google Maps, yeah. So the goat wouldn't come all the way back. You know, it's interesting as time went on, the Jews actually amended this passage in Leviticus and began to take the goat and actually throw the goat off the edge of a cliff to make sure that the goat died. And actually, while I have you on a quick tangent, it's fascinating. Actually, that scarlet cord, commentators say, would turn white if God was happy with the, with the scapegoat ritual. It would literally turn white. And then the people would know, okay, our sins are imputed onto a scapegoat. We're right with God and they would rejoice. But every now and again, the cord would stay red and the people would mourn for the year. They would live in terror that that goat would show up again and they would mourn for the year if the cord didn't go red. But folks, and this is what's interesting, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he rose in what color robes? White, white. As if to say, God was forever pleased with the scapegoat and with his work, hallelujah. And you know what's interesting as well? The Jewish commentators say after that point, the cord never turned white again. It never turned white again because God was pleased but this ready man, this fit man, this willing man was willing to lead that goat out as an act of faith and let the goat go into the wilderness. And I want to ask you tonight, are you ready to be a willing or a, the willing man? Are you ready to agree with God? He's cast it into the sea of his forgetfulness. Are you willing to cast it into the sea of your own forgetfulness. We have to let go. You have to let go. You have to let go. You let go of that. That is not who you are anymore. Jesus Christ has taken that upon himself. You must let go of that now by faith and cast it into the sea of your own forgetfulness. Lord, if you've forgotten it, I'm going to forget it as well. I'm going to forget it too. I'm going to, in an act of faith, I'm going to take one step at a time 
and I'm going to cast that thing into the sea of my forgetfulness. Some commentators say that maybe that ready man is the Holy Ghost. At which point then, it takes the Spirit of God to help you cast it into the sea of your forgetfulness. We need the Holy Spirit to come and help us walk in the freedom Jesus Christ died to give us. It goes on in the passage to say that after that ready man had cast that or led that goat out into the wilderness, he would come back and wash himself before entering back into the community. And let me maybe put it to you this way. We, after we make that sort of step of faith, that is not my identity anymore. Lord, Holy Spirit, come help me cast that into the sea of my forgetfulness. Help me agree with you. Maybe we ought to be washed by the water of the word. Our minds, our hearts, our thinking, our reasoning. God, I'm going to your word to help me begin to see myself differently. I'm going to your word that I might view myself through a biblical lens. I want to see myself through your identity, Lord, what you say about me, who you say I am, not who my feelings say I am, not what the people in my community want me to continue to feel like I am, but who you say I am. So Lord, I'm going to your word that I might be washed again and again and again by the higher truths of what you say about me. And only then am I going to step back into community. Only then will I have the robustness of spirit and soul and mind to, to stand in faith in that reality that I've received from the Lord's hand double. And not only have I received freedom and he's paid for sin's penalty, but also sin's presence. I am not that person anymore. Hallelujah. And that's the call I want to leave you with tonight. That's the call I want to leave you with tonight. Are you ready to be the ready, literally, man? Or the fit man? The person who's ready to say, Lord, I'm going to let go. This new year, I'm going to let go. That is not who I am. Lord, it's you. You took it on yourself. You bore it in your body. So I don't have to. And I'm going to walk in a new identity so that I can know your embrace and I can love myself and I can love the people around me that I might know what it is to be happy. And I'm going to end by just reading Psalm 32 again. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sin is put out of sight. Two goats, folks. One called forgiveness and one called forgetfulness. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.